You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Anyway, come with me in your Bibles, Genesis 1.28, Genesis 1.28. You're looking so beautiful, Pam, on the front row. Stand up, Pam. This is our beautiful Pam. She lived in San Marcos before we bought in San Marcos. That's how awesome she is. She's always the prophetic powerhouse. And then my beautiful bride on the front row. Genesis 1, 28, you're there. Says this, says, then God blessed them. Then God blessed them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. What I love about God is He never asks you to do something He doesn't first give you power to do. Do you know how hard it is to be fruitful and multiply without the blessing of God? Do you know how easy it is to be fruitful and multiply with the blessing of God? If you said to me, hey, you know, like, what, what's the angle here? Like, you know, all this, you know, fancy building, like, you know, why would you have to buy an old furniture store? And like, what's, what's the angle? Well, the angle, I'm glad you asked. The, the angle is to, to, first of all, make you aware that God is a God of blessing. God is a God of blessing. I know that we've, you know, you, we've all seen the street preachers that, you know, preach and proclaim that God is a mighty smiter. He's the mighty smiter looking for someone to smite. Gabriel, I'm angry. Give me a lightning bolt. <laughs> and that's how a lot of people see God. But that's not my experience of God. That's not the God that I encountered on a beach. And so, so you need to understand that God's first will, first intention, first desire for your life is to bless you, to bless you. Why? So that you can be fruitful and multiply. Oh, I get it now. Oh, I get it. He's one of those Joel Osteen preachers, isn't he? The old blab it and grab it prosperity doctrine. I see where you're coming. Oh, I know. Yeah, so, so let me just tell you. That in this house, you will flourish. In this house, you will come under a blessing. That, that, that we want you to learn how to position your life under the blessing of heaven so you can be fruitful and multiply. And if you fear that, whoa, 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 if I start multiplying, if I start, you know, like increasing, prospering, I'm afraid of getting greedy. Guess what? We will help you. As Dr. Matt said... Dr. Matt said there hasn't been a Sunday in 15 years where he hasn't heard a tithe and offering message because this is what we've discovered. Greedy people never give and giving people never greed. And so the goal is to keep making you generous people. Generous people. Did you know the Bible says that God gives seed to the sower? The day you stop sowing, the day the seed stops flowing. I don't have any seed. It's simple. Start sowing. All right, well, I'll sow when I get some seed. No, no, no. Start sowing. Yeah, when I get some seed. No, no, no. God gives seed to the sower. You become a sower. God will redirect the resources of heaven towards you. And you'll start becoming a sower. So God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue means to bring under, to bring under authority. He says, have dominion. The word dominion is where we get the word kingdom. A kingdom is where a king exercises dominion over a, over a terra firma. You were created to be a king and a priest. 
you were created to exercise dominion. Dominion is also where we get the word dominate. A dominator. I'm here to dominate. Get in the chopper. There's a bomb in there. You know, like you were created. You were created to, to dominate, not be dominated. A lot of people, when they walk into this house, they've been dominated by drugs. They've been dominated by alcohol. been dominated by depression. They've been dominated by the devil, kicking them around, oppression, dark thoughts, evil spirits dominating their life. But when you walk into this house, there's a spirit in this house that will elevate you above every principality, power, every throne, every dominion, where you begin to realize that you are the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath, that you're blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed going in, blessed going out. God elevates you so that you can see. It's very hard to see when you're under, but God sets you over so you can see, so that you can dream. This is a house that unlocks dreams. That's why it's called awaken. And so God wants you to to have dominion. He wants you to have authority. But I want you to notice there that God gave dominion over the earth to man. God did want you to notice it doesn't say, and God bless them, said, be fruitful, multiply, uh, you know, increase, subdue, and then God gave them subservience. God, God didn't make man to be his slaves. May I remind you the earth is mine. I create and I can take it away anytime I like. Now get down and worship me. He gave dominion over the earth to man. This is very important because recently on my wife's Instagram, somebody reached out to her and said to her, I do not understand your engagement in politics. Why would you, you believe that Donald Trump is the savior of America when Jesus is the savior of America? And the truth is, Jesus is the savior of America. However, however, he does it through a man or a woman. Because he gave the dominion over the earth to a man. So us, Brian, if we elect idiots to the highest office of the land, you're going to live under idiotic policies. You're going to live under idiotic legislations. I just believe if God wants to save. Yes, he does want to save, so he looks for amen. Have a look at Ezekiel 22.30, the scripture we had on the screen. It's worth rereading. Ezekiel 22.30 says, so I sought for amen. You can put all woman among them who would make a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. And then the saddest part of the scripture is, but I found no one. So God's desire was not to destroy the land. Now, let me just, let me just explain something. You, you need to understand that, that, that God, is not, God is not an awe God. Sometimes you'll hear that God is the mighty smiter and he's a God of you know, judgment and that you know, we're all just filthy worms. And you, you're lucky God didn't destroy you all. You know, and, and there's truth that will support that. And, uh, and then there's the other one where, you know, like, you know, he's a God of grace and he just come and, you know, here's a photo of Jesus holding a little lamb and you're that little lamb and, you know, 
He doesn't judge you for anything you've done wrong. He just, you know, and there's scripture to support that. So it seems like, well, hang on. Well, which one is it? Well, it's both. The, the Bible says, the Bible says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throat, throne. Mercy and truth has gone before him. So a lot of Christians, they like the truth, but they're terrible with mercy. I have found that if I'm going to be a good pastor, I need to learn how to be a good alchemist. An alchemist is somebody who mixes things. I, I, need, to under, I, need, I need to understand that unless I preach the truth, you won't know the truth. And Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. So truth brings freedom. But it's, it's, it's got to be delivered with mercy. It's got to be delivered with mercy. You've you got to be able to deliver the truth to, to where people can, people can hear. So, so, so before the throne of God is judgment and there's also mercy. Now, here's the truth. I deserve judgment. I deserve judgment because I was at the scene of every one of my sins. The common denominator, all the lives I jacked up was me. Because I, I, I grew up in a home. My dad was an atheist. So he told me there's no such thing as God. From a little, little, little guy, I remember when the, the Russians, remember there was a, the, in the 60s, there was the, the space race, you know, who could get to the moon first? And, you know, and then in the 70s, I was watching this documentary. I'm just a you know, little guy. And, and I'm not sure if you realize this, but the Russians got up there first. They got up there first. They didn't land first. The Americans landed first, but the Russians got up there first. And, and they had, um, uh, the, the name of the spaceship was Sputnik, which is just a funny name for a spaceship, isn't it? Vladimir, what do we call, what do we call spaceship? I don't know, what about the Sputnik? <laughs> oh, it's good, it's good. Why, why, why Sputnik? I hit dog. I hit dog called Sputnik. He was hit by truck. <laughs> I miss, I miss my little, sp let's call, I'm not sure, what, that, that probably didn't happen. Anyway, so they get up there, they get up there, they get up there, they get up there, and, and, and this is a true story, this is what they beam back. Vidorashinsk. We the Russians are on the Munsk, and we see no God up here. And so my dad, is, I'm sitting next to my dad watching this, and he's like, you see the Russians are on the moon, and so he says, there's no God, there is no God. If anybody could see God, and I mean, obviously, you know, you, know, you learn it in seminary, God lives on the moon. <laughs> it's not the man on the moon, it's God up there. And so I don't know where he got there, but I'm just a little guy, I don't know any better, so I just... So I believe there's no God. So when you believe there's no God, you live like there's no God. So I'm using people, I'm using them for my own high at their expense. And then I deal with this flipping pesky conscience thing. Afterwards, you flipping schmuck. You know, and then I'm getting leaves that we dry out and then put into a bong and smoke. And I'm trying to find life in things that are dead. And then I'm, you know, drinking stuff that, if I was honest with you, tastes like gasoline. Now, obviously, we, you mix it with Coke and put some ice in there, and now you've got a bourbon and Coke, and you kind of feel like you're cool. But I'm like, it's just cheaper if I go down to the gas station, put the, put the Bowser in there. It's, you know, $3.20 for a gallon. It's, it tastes the same, minus the Coke. And, and I'm like, man, is this, is this it? Is this life? And then I have an encounter with Jesus Christ on a beach. And it just changes everything. Everything just gets rocked. But I knew that I deserve judgment because of Jesus hanging on the cross. He absorbed the punishment for every one of my sins. Every sin that I committed, he shed his blood 
to redirect God's wrath away from me towards him. And he took the full brunt on the cross so that instead of judgment, I find mercy. In that mercy, I find his loving kindness. I find his faithfulness. I find his blessing. I find his grace. Grace is unmerited favor. The favor of my life, it's like I'm sure that I'm going to get to heaven and there's someone with a name similar to mine who earned all the things that I'm walking in. And heaven's going to say, don't we made a massive mistake. All the stuff you got on earth was meant to go to him. And there's some poor guy all beat up and it was like, you stole my blessing. You know, and... That's how unmerited favor is because Jesus took the judgment. So when we came to San Diego, they said this. They said, listen, when you come to San Diego, if you want to build a church, a big church in San Diego, the last thing you want to do is, 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 is let God turn up. Now, they didn't say it like that. They just kind of gave us some helpful tips. So I'm sitting there listening because I got saved on a beach and so I'm sitting there listening. They said, listen, you know, all the big churches, you know, in California, the churches here are seeker-friendly churches. And I'm like, well, what's seeker-friendly? They were like, well, you know, what, basically what seeker-friendly means is, you know, is they, they dumb down God. Or well, actually, you know, they, they hide God. <laughs> and, uh, and stay there, you know. And then they need God. Oh, shoot, we need God for a, for a building fund, for a miracle. Hang on. All right, that's enough. <laughs> and so, so they, and then they told me, they're like, and for goodness, for goodness sake, do not bring that pesky third person of the Trinity out. The Holy Spirit, oh, he'll, he'll ruin your church. He's crazy. No idea what he's doing. He will ruin, hide the Holy, just just do what we do. Just act like he doesn't even exist. When someone brings up, what about the Holy Spirit? Who? What? Sorry, what? Who? Just act like. And I'm like, no, I, we didn't travel all the way from Sydney to San Diego. Like, well, when you're on the platform, don't speak in tongues. Well, whatever you do, don't. Don't, don't speak about tithes and offerings. Malachi 3. I mean, we just... Because here's the thing. We are a seeker-friendly church. But it's just, we're not seeker-friendly to you. We're seeker-friendly to Him. Because God is the original seeker. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they ate from the forbidden fruit. They, they were clothed with light. They were clothed with glory. That's what they were clothed by. That's why the Bible says, and when they ate the fruit, they realized they were naked. It wasn't that they weren't buck naked before that, but they were clothed with light. They were clothed with glory. And the glory departed when they, when they rejected God's word from ruling over them. And so Adam and Eve then hide themselves amongst the trees, cover themselves with leaves and it was God in the scripture who was the first seeker. Adam! Adam! Where are you? Adam! It was God that came looking. God is a seeker God 
God is a searching God. But what is God seeking for? What is God searching for? The answer is God is searching for a believer. See, God is a promise-making God. And because he's God, God is a promise-keeping God. He's a promise-making God and he's a promise-keeping God. But what God is looking for is a promise-believing people. The way that you unlock God's power in your life is through believing. Now, let me just tell you this. Every single person believes. I know in the New Testament we were called Christians twice, both derogatory. Before we were called Christians, before and after, we were known as believers. Now, everybody believes. That's why Jesus continually said, be careful that you are not deceived because he knows that you are wired to believe. But it's what you believe that determines what you inherit. So Jesus says, be careful that you are not beware of false teachers and false prophets for many will arise and deceive many, if possible, even the elect. Because God and the devil knows you are wired to believe. But it's what you believe. So I want in this house, when you come into this house, our angle is that we will show you what God has promised and that God, what God will keep and then to put you in between as a believer. Now, when people say, well, you know, in church, you shouldn't mix, you know, politics and, you know, like Christianity, like just keep the two separate. I always find it wonderful to completely ignore Because they say, well, Jesus is the saviour of America, not Donald Trump. And I believe that Jesus is the saviour. However, he does it through people. When God wanted to save Israel out of Egypt, in the book of Exodus, God turns up, burning bush. Moses turns aside and God says to Moses, 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 with a Latino accent, take the sandals off your feet. For the place where you are standing is is holy ground. It just sounds like God, doesn't it? It's got a little bit of salsa happening. <laughs> so, and anyway, he's telling Moses, he, you know, he tells Moses, I've seen the oppression, I've heard their cry, and behold, I have come down to deliver them. Moses, I've come down to deliver them from the power of Pharaoh. And Moses like, yeah, go, God. Woo, yeah, do it, God. Those flipping Egyptians, they deserve it. Woo. And then God says, and behold, I send you. He's like, what? Behold, I send you to Pharaoh. He's like, whoa, whoa, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This wasn't part of the, no, no. I've got, I've got to look after sheep. I don't, I don't, I'm 80. I don't have time for, God was, delivering Israel from Egypt but he did it through a man called Moses when there was a famine in the land that wiped out civilizations the Bible says God sent a man ahead of them by the name of Joseph Joseph goes ahead of them to save the entire Israelite family because a king and a Hamashiach, a Messiah, was going to come from the tribe of Judah. And so Joseph had to go down first so that he could provide breakthrough and provide for relief, relief in a famine. What was God's will? God's will was for Israel to be saved, but he used a man by the name of Joseph. When Haman the Agagite had a genocidal, murderous agenda, for wiping out the entire Jewish race. A young girl 
by the name of Esther was challenged by Uncle Mordecai. He says, sweetheart, just because you're in the palace, don't think you'll escape this sentence. I saw the decree. It is written that every Jew, regardless of stature, regardless of position, will be killed on this particular day. If you stay silent, God will raise deliverance from another area. But who knows? Maybe you, sweetie, were brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. All of a sudden, this little girl looks back. A little, a little eight-year-old, broken-hearted because her mom and dad are dead. Wondering who's now going to take care of her. And Uncle Mordecai comes. She grows up in Uncle Mordecai's house. As a young teenage girl, she's so beautiful. She's got aspirations and dreams. She wants to one day get married, start a family, have a house with a white picket fence. All of that is ruined because a king can't keep his marriage. And so now he's lonely because he's lost his queen. And they say to him, listen, this is what you need to do. Get all the beautiful virgins in the land. Get them to have 10 months of beautification treatments. And then you get to sleep with each one and the one that pleases you the most, you get to keep her. Can I just tell you, that is a male brain. <laughs> Only a man brain goes, that's brilliant. Oh, you guys are legends. Only a male brain. Now, let me also say the reason we have Emerge Ministry <laughs> is because every man is cursed, blessed, whichever way you look at it, with a man brain. This stuff we need fixing. And so anyway, so, so King Oasuerus was like, that's brilliant, that's a brilliant. So they do that. So little, little Esther is taken. One night with the king means that, that she can't ever marry anybody else. There goes the house, there goes the white picket fence, there goes the family, there goes the vacation, there goes the dog, the cat. She may only be there once and now she's in it. Just his harem. And all of a sudden, Mordecai comes and says, there's a decree to wipe out all the Jews. And she's like, you know what? Man, I got my own ish. I got my own stuff going on. He says, all right, you can be silent. God will raise deliverance. God will fulfill His promises. God is a promise-making God. He's a promise-keeping God. But who knows? Maybe you were positioned in the palace Maybe you're the believer that God is looking for. She is so rocked. She says, fast with me for three days. And on the third day, she walks up. She knows the entrance into the king's presence, uninvited, is a death sentence. But how many people know that you don't have anything worth living for until you found something worth dying for? And she kicks open the doors and walks in and... King Ahasuerus is shocked. He's never seen this. And he reaches out his scepter. And then she tells him the plans and she saves an entire nation. When God wanted to bring Israel into the promised land, he looked for a young man called Joshua who was strong and courageous. When God wanted to, to, to bring the New Testament, he looked for a young man, Saul, converted him into Paul. God is always looking for a man or a woman. He's looking for a man or a woman. You look at all the great awakenings, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, William and Catherine Booth that started the Salvation Army. They literally turned the world upside down. 
<clears throat> when Leanne and I moved to New Zealand, we heard the story about the Salvation Army that moved, that sent two young men. One was 18, one was 19. And they got to New Zealand. They didn't know about New Zealand. They got there in 1904 and they did not realise in New Zealand that New Zealand was two islands. So they flipped a coin. And one got the North Island, one got the South Island. And they said, let's meet back here in two years. Two years later, they, they, they met back. They started over 130 churches. 18-year-old, turned New Zealand upside down. God wants to move. He's just looking for a man or a woman. A man or a woman. Will you be that man to finish? Many years ago, one of our colleges over here, preparing young men for, and young women for destiny, for their purpose, did an excursion where they went to England. They went to George Whitfield's home. They went to Charles Spurgeon's home. They went to John and Charles Wesley, you know, where they grew up, John Wesley's home. As they're in John Wesley's home, they showed the downstairs and it was kind of like a, just maybe a glorified two-story cottage, very humble. And they, they go in and here's, here's a room that they converted to be his library. And there's kind of a, an old leather chair with cracks in it and books on the shelves. This is where he would sit and he would just read and study and pray. And then they go upstairs and there's kind of like a makeshift bathroom. And then there was his bedroom. They opened the bedroom. It's kind of a tiny little bedroom and they all kind of filed in. And one of the students said, hey, what's, what's with the rug? Because the rug beside the bed had two holes in it. Like, well, what are those holes? And the, the, the tour guide said, well, actually, that's, that's where John, John Wesley would kneel. And he would cry out, God, God. Send an awakening on England. God, turn hearts back to you. God, turn hearts back to you. God, bring revival to England. God, bring revival to England. And the tour guide said, I guess he wore holes in the rug. They went through the rest of the home. They all get into the bus and they're driving to the next destination. And, you know, the, the person in charge is trying to do a head count. One short does a head count again. All right, all right, everyone, sit down, sit down. Does it? Oh my gosh, stop, stop the bus, stop the bus. There's one missing. You gotta turn around the thing and maybe it was in the bathroom, maybe it was in the backyard, you know, let's, so they get back. Everyone stay here, I don't wanna lose another one. So he goes into the house, looks downstairs, but he can hear this kind of this mutter from upstairs. So he goes up the stairs and in the words of the, the, the teacher, he says, the door's cracked open to the bedroom. Says, and as he approaches the door, he's just, just immediately aware of the awe of God, the presence of God. He says, and he pushes the door open, and here is a young man, 19 years of age, with his knees in the same hole, on the same rug, and he's crying out, God, do it again. God, do it again. The teacher's own words said, it was the most, one of the most amazing and profound moments where he could feel the presence of God. But they had places to be, places to go. So the teacher walked over, put his hand on the young man's shoulder and said, come on, Billy Graham. We gotta go. See, we can say Billy Graham, he was, a, he, he was the man that led more people to Christ than any other human being in Christianity's history because he had a great preaching gift. He was a great orator. He was a... He, he, he was a man with a powerful evangelistic gift, but I want to tell you, 
is because the seeker searching God who looks to and fro throughout the whole earth searching for him whose heart is loyal that on that person's behalf he might show himself strong found a young 19 year old with his knees in a rug pile hole crying out God do it again God do it again God do it again God is looking he is searching for a believer when other people were moving to Idaho Montana Texas Leanne and I said no 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 our assignment is San Diego come hell or high water somebody's got to stay somebody's got to fight I know we're not God's first choice I know we're probably not God's 31st choice 51st choice but I want to tell you today Leanne and I have made a decision that the father will never have to look for another no matter what the price no matter what the cost he will never have to say I found no one I found no one I'm always gonna be the first to put my hand up whatever it takes whatever it costs come on if you believe that say yeah this morning if you believe that God has found a believer would you say yeah this morning come on lift your hands high lift your hands high say these words say Heavenly Father I'm a believer I believe your promises I believe your power today I choose to let go to remove the lies of the devil over my life lies about God lies about religion lies about faith and today I make a decision that I want to believe that you're a promise making God a promise keeping God and I want to be a promise believing people can we if you believe that give God a praise right now come on come on thanks for listening to find out more about our locations team and what we do here at Awakened Church go to awakenedchurch.com 